Welcome to God Signs with J.R. Bucklew, the President and CEO of the Deaf Bible Society in Arlington, Texas. I'm Marshall Lawrence, and I have a question for you. Who are you? What makes you, you? Different, unique, special. Today, J.R. and his guest will talk about that in a most intriguing way. You may discover some new things about you and about one of the most fascinating people groups on earth. J.R.? In Exodus chapter 3, we begin to see the point in Moses' life after he's fled from Egypt, he's gone to Meridian, he's started a family, and now he encounters the burning bush. God himself giving Moses a command to go and free his people. And what I've always found fascinating here is that right after he gives Moses his first command where he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses' first response is, but who am I? I mean, think about that. I mean, really, who is he? A Hebrew baby raised as an Egyptian, not just an everyday Egyptian, but royalty in Pharaoh's home, sent out of the land, ends up in the desert, joins up with these Midianites, marries into a family. This guy is so... He, his the identity crisis that must be going on in this guy is just so wild, and it's you can see that it's so wild. At the end of chapter two, he names his firstborn son Gershom, which means foreigner or alien. He says, "This he he is a man that is just torn when it comes to identity." So the Lord gives him a call and says, "Go do this," and he says, "But." But who who am I? When you meet someone for the first time, do you automatically know their upbringing, their life experiences, their pains, their joys? Do they know yours? When we encounter people, it's very natural for us to make assumptions or draw conclusions based on whatever visual or auditory cues may, we may receive when we meet them, whether they're, they're male, they're female, they're young, they're old, how they carry themselves, how they seem to be communicating back to us. And this is very normal. This, this happens in our lives every day. The deaf in our society are around us but they're largely this unseen minority. They may look similar to you, but be unrecognizable in a crowd when you walk past them on a sidewalk. I know so many times in places that I've gone, you know, I grew up in a deaf home. Both of my parents being deaf went to a deaf church. I, uh, it was very natural for me to find deaf people in my community. And then I would have other other people I meet that have no connection to the deaf world say, yeah, but are there really any deaf people here in our city? Are there really any deaf people here? And I was like, well, yeah, they're all over. They're all around us. You know, they, they, they don't, 
They don't walk around with a big indicating sign on their body saying, hey, look at me, I'm deaf. And unless they're actually signing to one another in sign language, you, you, you would never know. And even then, most people are just so unaware, they're not paying attention. They don't see what's happening right around them. But once you do find out that a person is deaf, what, what seems to happen? What, what goes through your mind? And maybe you don't really think it all the way through, but if you think back to a moment where you may have, when you may have met a deaf person, what did you do when you found out that person was deaf? Did your attempt at communication end? Do all the other similarities that you thought you had with this person and their identity go away and now their identity is boiled down to just that they're deaf? Did a thought cross your mind that this was another human being created in the image of God? Because it's really hard for us to think about the image of God being deaf when we have no context to what that is. What, what crossed your mind? What crossed your mind? I know it's the illustration that I often give people when we have this conversation is if you were to go into a doctor's office or go into any lobby and you had two benches on each side of the room and there were two people sitting there, a blind person on one side and a deaf person on the other side, who do you go sit next to and talk to? Well, most of the time people will say, well, the blind person. And that's pretty natural because the language is similar. You can communicate with one another. You can engage with one another. More often than not, most people don't go sit next to the deaf person because they can't engage. Or even when they do, it's because they didn't know the person was deaf until they try to have a conversation and they realize, uh-oh, I don't know what to do now. And they, they panic and they move or they, they, they freeze. I mean, even Helen Keller said that blindness separated her from things, but it was deafness that separated her from people. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. And I think you're in for a real treat as we're talking through this subject. Uh, Phoebe Tay from the Deaf Bible Society is with us and is going to help us dig into some of these questions by helping us better understand the concepts of intersectionality and the deaf identity. Welcome, Phoebe. Hi, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, who is Phoebe Tay? What is your background and and what do you do at the Deaf Bible Society? Yes, I'm a linguist research specialist. Our department focuses on sign language engagement and training. The department itself is fairly new. Well, I was born in Singapore. At 16, I moved to Australia. After I finished high school, I applied to university and completed my bachelor's in deaf education. After finishing my BA, I joined the workforce for a few years as a teacher for the deaf. During this time, I taught in public schools and in schools specifically for the deaf. I also worked as a deaf mentor to families with deaf children, giving the parents advice, educating them, teaching games of interaction to children to help facilitate communication within the family unit. In 2014, I found myself in a place where I became passionate about human rights, equal accessibility, and education throughout the world. 
I wanted to impact people not through one avenue, but through several. At the same time, I wanted to study linguistics. I've always been fascinated by language and how it works, its structure and grammar. I thought that the right to language and culture mixed together would be a perfect fit for me. So I decided to apply to Gallaudet's International Development Program for my first semester and later added a second major in linguistics and was accepted. It turns out that those areas of study fit perfectly with what I'm doing now because my role requires me to analyze language and culture. Were you hearing when you were born or were you deaf when you were born? Born deaf. Your parents were hearing, right? Yeah, my parents are hearing. I found out I was deaf at three and a half. You were three and a half years old. Mm -hmm. Did either of your parents sign? No. What was communication like growing up between you and your parents? Well, I used my voice. I could hear enough to communicate in one on one situation with in my family because it was usually just my mom or dad or brother. However, I would lose track of conversations in group settings. Because I could hear, um, I had access to spoken language, and when I was close enough to a person, I could have a conversation. But in the classroom setting, I couldn't track the conversation because there's just too much noise going on. What language was normal for your family to communicate in? At home, my parents and my brother spoke English. The government in Singapore implemented a dual language policy in the country that included English. That started in my parents' time. The policy required schools to teach all their classes in English. That transition started with my parents. Some of my aunts and uncles were educated using Chinese, since the policy didn't start until after my mom had been born. My grandparents speak a dialect of Chinese called Hokkien. However, my grandparents on my father's side speak Teochew, a form of Mandarin. Because I grew up with English, I had a strong foundation with it as my first language. I also attribute this with the fact that my mom would read with me every night, which developed my love for books and reading. At eight years old, I was reading books like The Famous Five and others like it. This is, I mean, this is really fascinating. So. Chinese heritage in Singapore, English-speaking family. They found out you were deaf at three and a half. You grew up oral. Uh, but but within society, were you, were you viewed as being deaf or were you viewed as being hearing? Mm -hmm. Well, my mom told me one time that she never viewed or thought of me as a deaf person. She viewed me as just a normal person who just couldn't hear as well as other people. Growing up, my parents typically used the term hearing impaired to describe me, as did my teachers. That's how they all viewed me as a person. I thought it was nice of my mom to tell me that she never thought of me as different and only as someone who couldn't hear as well as other people. But then you moved to Australia, which is even even there's though there's language similarity in the spoken language or certainly different culture, then you come to the United States. So you're 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 Singaporean. You're framed as being hard of hearing by some people. You're framed as not really being deaf by others. But here in the United States, there's really a strong 
sort of deaf power, pro-deaf uh, movement here. Um, how have all of these things shaped your own understanding of the deaf identity? Or how have the, these things even shaped your own understanding of your own identity today? So while I was growing up in Singapore, I always thought of myself as disabled because growing up, I had to read lips and I had a hard time keeping up with my friends who could hear in terms of communication. When I moved to Australia and went to university, I looked into what support services were available to make my classes more accessible. I made an appointment with the disability office and found that they would provide a person to sit in classes with me to take very detailed, almost verbatim notes. Because I didn't sign at all at that point in my life, that system worked out well for me, except in class discussions. Since I had to wait for the note taker to finish typing and then read the notes, my responses ended up being too slow for that kind of pace. In addition to all of that, I was living in a culture that was very different from the one that I grew up in. I soon realized that the people in Australia had no problem asking questions in class, where in Singapore that wasn't culturally appropriate. We were taught not to voice our opinions. I was also very shy at that time in my life, all the way up until I left university. My deaf identity started to develop when I started working one-on-one -on -one with a deaf man from the disability office. He was teaching me Auslan or Australian Sign Language, which I learned slowly. Most of my friends were international hearing students, so it took me longer to learn Auslan Sign Language since I wasn't hanging out with deaf, the deaf community at that time. Then, during my last year in the deaf education program, our classes focused on deaf history and deaf culture. That's when it hit me. I had never thought of myself before as someone who belonged to a community. I never thought of the deaf as having a culture because I always associate it with a disability. Because of that, I always had preferred to call myself hearing impaired or hard of hearing. To use the word deaf felt like I was giving people the impression I couldn't hear anything at all when I do have some hearing. To me, the word deaf was a negative term. So why would I call myself deaf? But as I was learning more about deaf history and deaf culture, I realized that the term deaf, when used to describe deaf culture, was actually a very positive term. It recognizes that the deaf have a language and a culture and have a place to belong, a place to build deep relationships and community. So my perspective started to shift. It was actually quite a challenge for me because I was suddenly in a place where I was asking myself whether I truly belonged to the deaf community when I couldn't sign fluently yet. Slowly, I started to believe I was part of the deaf community. When did that transition start to take place? It was my last year of university. And you were in Australia? In Australia, yes. And this is before you came to the U.S.? That's right. I learned a lot about the deaf when I was in Australia, when I started hanging out with the deaf community. For example, when I worked at a deaf school, they had strobe lights for the doorbell and in classrooms and as their fire alarms. I learned what was an appropriate way of getting a deaf person's attention, such as tapping their shoulder or stomping my foot. 
I also learned that it was not appropriate in deaf culture. What was right in a culture which could hear was not necessarily right in a deaf culture. I watched the older deaf generation to learn as much as I could. I remember one woman in particular who could advocate for quality interpreters. When an interpreter didn't behave ethically, she would call them out on that. That was a huge shock to me. And I remember thinking, we can do that? Especially because in my country, you didn't do that. We didn't have enough interpreters to meet the need, nor did we have a right to an interpreter. Later, I learned that the U.S. had different laws for interpreters as well. Australia really symbolized the time of the start of my journey through the deaf community. There were, of course, positive and negative aspects of that journey. For example, even though I felt connected to the deaf community because I signed, I still was a foreigner. As an Asian person, I didn't feel like I belonged with the white Australian population. I started struggling with my identity, and even though I had learned more about what it means to be a deaf person, it still felt like something was missing. Later, when I moved to Gallaudet, I immediately understood why I didn't feel like I fit into the Australian deaf community. Gallaudet University has many American and international deaf students on campus, and in my international development program, there was one professor who traveled internationally quite a bit, and he placed a lot of value on diversity and embracing others with a different cultural background than him. I met many international students, each with different languages, different sign languages, different written languages, not only was I fascinated, but right away I felt a connection, like I belonged there. The dynamics of Gallaudet were so different than in Australia. It was there that I realized identity was not something you define with just one word, but many words. Deaf is just one part of my identity, not all of it. I'm also a woman, I'm Asian, I'm a Christian, and I'm not just Asian. I'm Southeast Asian, which is different than being from East Asia. It's different than being Cambodian. Every country is different, even if they are in the same region. So just looking back on my journey, coming from a place where I saw myself as disabled, as hard of hearing or hearing impaired, and fast forwarding to gaining a sense of deaf pride, and then to now where I see my identity as not just deaf, but as something that is dynamic and layered. I learned the term intersectionality from my friend Kimberly Crenshaw, a black woman who developed the term. When she started talking to me about this concept, it caused me to take a deeper look at myself. And that's when I started to reflect on my own journey. It helped me to understand where I fit in and how I fit in with other cultures and environments. So you mentioned intersectionality. Uh, what, what is this? I mean, how, how does it really impact deaf identity? Okay, yes. Again, I do want to emphasize that the term intersectionality was first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, a black woman, as a way to frame and analyze the oppression of people of color, black people who had experienced oppression. Within that framework, we can see how different aspects of our identity intersect with each other. So for example, my experiences 
and my identity as an Asian woman will be different than that of a white deaf man from a deaf family. He still has white privilege, which gives him a position of power. A deaf person from another minority group will also have a different experience and identity because there are different layers to that group. A deaf person of color typically will encounter more oppression than a white deaf person will. Mm. How would you say a deaf person's language helps them to form their identity? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I first learned to sign, I realized that language removes barriers. I feel free to be who I am without those barriers. When those walls are removed, I have accessibility to people and to greater educational and work opportunities. For example, working at Deaf Bible Society, we have deaf and hearing staff who all sign. The staff who are still learning to sign are able to use an interpreter. Our environment is almost completely accessible, and that in turn gives me a greater sense of self-worth. I enjoy where I work, and I have confidence. There are no limitations, so really language and identity are connected. We need language to develop ourselves, and as a person, to develop our interests to interact with our friends, family, and other people. Thank you, Phoebe. This has been wonderful. Thank you. What a fascinating story. And such varied experiences Phoebe's had in her journey. Certainly there were ups and downs in her life, but she followed a path of opportunity that included varied cultural experiences and the mastery of several spoken and signed languages, which has brought her to her current place of service at Deaf Bible Society, helping to make the Bible truly accessible to the many deaf cultures in the world. For those of us who grew up hearing and have lived our entire lives in the United States, we've never known a time when the full Bible was not available to us and available in multiple translations and paraphrases, Bible storybooks for children, Bible dictionaries and thesauruses, and even multi-volume encyclopedic study helps are all readily available at your local Christian bookstore. And yet, deaf people who do their best thinking and communicating in a language of signs still don't have a single version of the complete Bible translation in their own native language anywhere in the world. But it's coming. Deaf Bible Society and its worldwide networks of partners are working every day to make that happen. But they need your help, your prayers, your gifts, in order to bring the gift of God's Word to deaf people from Manhattan to Mongolia to Melbourne, and ultimately, every nation on earth. Would you please consider how you might help in this great mission? And visit GodSigns.com. GodSigns.com. Thank you. And now here's J.R. Bucklew again with a few closing thoughts. J.R.? My experience is is very different uh, from Phoebe's. Uh, and it's something that I really think hard about many times because someone like Phoebe who 
uh, now, you know, we, we've, we've gone through this journey with her, with her identity of being well, just Singaporean, but being hard, hearing impaired to creating that framework of deaf as a disability and a disadvantage to realizing there's, there's actually, there, there's, there's a positive to deaf being deaf, that there's language, there's culture, there's community, and now being, seeing an identity there. For me, I was born a hearing kid, but American Sign Language was my first language. It was the language in my home. It was a very different experience. And yet, I know that Phoebe and I are united in this common cause. The most beautiful identity that we can have is in Christ, and our cause is making God's Word available in every sign language. And so our differences don't limit us, yet our similarities strengthen us. A person's language unites them in community. It's really hard to commune when there's no way to engage. And the language they use becomes part of their identity. But we also know that our identity is based on who God says we are. When we go back to Exodus chapter 3, and we look at Moses, and he has this identity crisis, and he says, but who am I? That when the Lord sends him out, he asks again, okay, well, then who who are you? Who do I say? His identity is then formed and not who he was or his experiences or the challenges within him, but in who God was. And he says, I am. His newfound identity wasn't that he had to say something about himself. He didn't have to say something about himself to validate serving in obedience. It was saying something about the one that called to validate his serving and obedience. And there are deaf people all around the world who are, who are just challenged with this idea. They're, they're struggling because within their societies, who they are has been framed for them by people and often a lost, broken people. And yet... Through sign language, through access to the Word of God in their language, we have the ability to show them that there's so much more available to them. There's so much more that is part of their identity, their DNA, and who they are, and whose image they were formed in. And deaf people all over the world are now having access to the Bible and their sign language. It was wonderful today. I, I am extremely encouraged uh, by Phoebe's testimony, and I know you are too. And so I encourage you today, as you think through who you are and who you are in Christ and then who other people are around you, the assumptions you make when you meet them versus the assumptions you have after you try to communicate with them, think about who not only they may be deeper on the inside, but who they could be if they knew not just who they were, but who calls and sins, that there is so much to be done around. There's so much that God is wanting to show you in who he is. Even today, as you're becoming more aware of what he's doing with deaf people all over the world. So uh, in closing today, I want to encourage you to do two things. Remember, remember, if you have deaf friends or family members, send them to godscience.com to be able to watch this entire program in American Sign Language. 
so they can engage, so they can be encouraged by the stories of what God is doing within people like them all over the world. And for you, go to godsigns.com stories to learn more about deaf communities that are being impacted by his word in their sign language. And remember, he is signing. He's signing around me, he's signing around you, and he's signing among communities all over the world. The mission is the Great Commission until all the deaf have seen. Thank you. Thank you, JR. And thank you for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for another edition of God Signs from Deaf Bible Society. Go to godsigns.com stories to learn more about deaf communities that are being impacted by his word in their sign language. And remember, he is signing. He's signing around me, he's signing around you, and he's signing among communities all over the world. The mission is the Great Commission until all the deaf have seen. Thank you. Thank you, JR. And thank you for listening. Join us again next week at the same time for another edition of God Signs from Deaf Bible Society.